to not only get the chance to speak God's word and bring you God's word, but to serve in our nation's military. And uh, kind of unique that I, I do a little bit of both um, here on staff at this church and being a part of our armed services. So uh, I was asked to speak today, and I, I, it's, a, it's a great honor. You know, don't get this very often, so hope you enjoy it. And, uh, and we're going to celebrate God's word today with our Memorial Day. But you know, Memorial Day, it just doesn't mean what it once did. Since Memorial Day was enacted, it's uh, kind of become the beginnings of things, such as the beginning of summer, the end of the seniors who graduate. It's the start of the Indy 500, in case y'all track that. I think it's the 101st run of the Indy 500. Most of our pools are open today, and many of us will have picnics and barbecues, and the youth will be having a celebration as well at the Denny's house right after church. And maybe some of y'all are on your way back to the lakes or go camping. But it hasn't always been that way. You know, Memorial Day, it grew out of a human need to remember where we've been. And I believe that's an important piece for you and I today, to remember where we've been. Without our history, we will not know the mistakes that we have already made and prevent ourselves from making them in the future. Only then can we figure out where we're going to go next. The cherished memories of a nation and town and churches and family provide the values and dreams that one generation passed on to the next. Forgetting means dropping the torch, to say the none. All of this was in the mind of a great president, President Abraham Lincoln, on the 19th of November in 1863, as he made his way to the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania battlefield, he feared that he might be the last president of the United States. As the country teetered on the brink of self-destruction, the ceremony that afternoon would dedicate the site of the cemetery for over 40,000 soldiers killed at Gettysburg. Lincoln's remarks provided the seedbed for what will now become Memorial Day. With his famous opening four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He began with this no less than two minutes later. He concluded, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here, referring to the sacrifice of those soldiers. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have fought here have thus far notably advanced, it is rather for us to here dedicate this great task remaining before us from these honored dead. We take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave their last and last full measure of devotion. We are highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that our nation under God shall have a new birth or freedom, and that the government of the people will be by the people, for the people, and shall not perish. Over the next few years, many communities would set aside days to honor those fallen soldiers of the Civil War. Some services were held with little fanfare, and others revolved, involved in marching bands and celebrations and speeches in the town center. And then it included decorating the soldiers' graves with flowers and flags. Most towns referred to the event as the Decoration Day. And after World War I, the day expanded to honor the American heroes of all wars. Gradually, the custom of decorating the graves of the relatives would expand to and eventually be known as Memorial Day 
On May 30th, 1971, Congress moved the date to actually acknowledge what is now we call Memorial Day. Because we don't want to forget. But we know we will, and we know we do. What we do on Memorial Day will be remembered. And we desperately want the next generation to remember the lives of the soldiers who gave their life and their legacies and their lessons that should be taught from the shoulders to the shoes of those soldiers. We want to remember men and women who paid for our freedom with their blood as Jesus paid tribute to such a sacrifice when he said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. We have much to remember. So I would like to explain the meaning of this special table displayed at the front. Each piece seen on the table represents an item and has a special meaning. First, the table is round to show our everlasting concern for our missing men and women. The tablecloth is white, symbolizing the purity of their motives when answering the call to duty. The single red rose displayed in the vase reminds us of the life of each of the missing and their loved one and friends of these Americans who keep the faith waiting answers. The vase is tied with a red ribbon. It's a symbol of our continued determination to account for our missing. The yellow candle and its yellow ribbon symbolizes the everlasting hope for a joyous reunion with those yet accounted for. The black napkin stands for the emptiness these warriors have left in the hearts of their family and friends. A slice of lemon on the plate is to remind us of the bitter fate of those captured and missing in foreign lands. A pinch of salt symbolizes the tears endured by those missing and their families who seek the answers. The Bible represents the strength gained through faith to sustain those lost for our country founded as one nation under God. The glass is inverted to symbolize their inability to share in this morning's service. And the chair is empty. It depicts an unknown face representing no specific soldier, sailor, airman, or marine, but all who are not with us today. Every generation of Americans has heroes. And those who have defended freedom and laid down their lives for their friends. Someone has rightly observed, it is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of press. It is the soldier, not the poet, that gave us freedom of speech. It was the soldier, not the politician, who has given us the freedom to vote, to assemble, and to demonstrate. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows protesters to burn the flag. We have much to remember, and our church owes a great debt. Thank you for those who have served, who are still serving, and in the future who are wanting to serve. You make our nation great, and we thank you for your service. And since we're on the topic of remembering, it's going to be a, a well Remembrance today is, again, as you spend time with your families, hug each and every one of them. Let them know you love them. Our church today is built by some of those that are still sitting here who have actually built this building and have paid for it. But there will be a future generation that will not know your sacrifice, will not know your toils and all your sweat and what you've done here today. But they will know what this church has done They will be beneficiaries from the sacrifices 
of those who did, from our developed campuses to our ministries and to our reputation in this great community. But the same situation took place in a land that many of us have honestly have never been and from a people that we could be descendants of. Some of us here may be. Those were God's witnesses. And they'll be known as the Israelites and the Jewish people from whom our Messiah comes. It's a recorded piece of history that we, the church, need to pay special attention to because it has a message. And if we don't find ourselves reading our messages and looking at our history, we're going to find our sides on, on the opposite side of God's anger and the consequences of our actions. And so today we're going to look in the book of Joshua. It opens in Joshua chapter 1 with the death of Moses, the leader of Israel, the chosen leader to bring the people out of the slavery of Egypt and into the promised land. It was promised land given to them by God through Abraham and the seeds of Abraham. It is said that they have wandered the desert for 40 years waiting to enter into the promised land. But there's a unique quality about this promised land. And maybe many of you have often wondered what was so specific and so special about this land. What made it separated? Why would God just not give them another piece of land? Well, I've often wondered that myself. But this land was special. You see, to its west sits the Mediterranean Sea. There to provide plenty of opportunities to navigate and to eat. But if you've ever looked on the map and seen where... Canaan sits, or Israel sits, to its east is a vast desert, almost impassable to cross. And so this land specifically has a key terrain because it links the Asia Minor north with pieces of Eastern Europe down into Africa. It was a trade route, and it had great fertile lands, but that link is vital Because through that link, as people pass, is an opportunity to share who God is. So God specifically places his people there to do that task. Unfortunately, those that were in the land already were very immoral people. Their sexual desires grew to untestable writings. Human sacrifices and the worship of idol gods. And therefore, God had already prejudged them. It was time to remove these people from the land. And so we enter in with Joshua. As Joshua is preparing to take the next step in the group of, that had been led out of Egypt into this promised land. When I was in officer candidate school, we had to do a paper on a general. And there are many great generals and military leaders out there. Not only in our American history, but in history gone past. Caesar, Napoleon, we get into ours, and you get great generals like General Washington. You get great generals like Robert E. Lee, was a great general. Wrong side of the tracks there, but he was a great general. Rosecrans, Sherman, into our modern military, Patton, Abrams, Schwarzkopf, Colin Powell. Great generals. But of all the generals that we could have chose from, I decided to choose Joshua. And they thought that was a little odd. But I explained to them what a general he was. How great of the task did Joshua have when he stood before over a million people preparing to lead them into battle. 
And I, and I opened the, the monologue with, as Joshua stood and gazed into a land that he had not yet been, in an army he had no clue what he was about to go against. He was bold, and he had the power of God behind him because he chose to serve the Lord his God. And it was an amazing feat to see how Joshua did this step by step with every command honored as God laid it out. He was a great general. He was a great leader. And he was the assistant of Moses. And he's also only one of two that survived all that. Only him and Caleb survived from the time they left Egypt to the time they entered the promised land. And God would show the people how much of a great leader he was and how he was appointed. From the crossing of the Jordan on dry ground to the conquering of fortified cities, lunar days standing still, and the dissemination of the land. What a man of God Joshua was. You can look at his career and you see it's pretty rare to see a man that's so upstanding. He's just a really man of God. He communicated with God, and therefore he was also a prophet. And Joshua told the people what, he, what God had told him. That's what prophets do. But as all with us, as we will all one day, Joshua's life was rapidly drawing to a close. As God prepared the people for Joshua's departure, Joshua gave his final message to remind them of the choices that lay before them. To serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. No one can make this decision for us. It's a decision we all have to make. And so if you have your Bibles open, Joshua chapter 23. And in the 14th verse, I want to show you something that Joshua did. Which we have much to remember, but which way will you go? So in the 14th verse, Joshua starts with, Soon I will die, going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. So in the very first 14th verse here, we see Joshua's message include a reminder to the people so they would never forget what they have already gone through. Because to be quite honest, we're forgetful people. I mean, without my iPhone, I wouldn't even know what day it is. But we forget. 9-11 wasn't that long ago, but you have a whole generation already coming up that did not witness that, did not see that. And you have even more generations that will never believe that we fought a world war like we did with Nazi Germany and Japan. It's just that easy that for us to forget times. So Joshua doesn't want the people to forget. He gives them the message to remind them, Behold this day. Today, I'm going to die. And deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord, your God, has come true. And you would think that's kind of silly since they've been with Joshua and they've seen God's miracles. But how quickly have we witnessed miracles in our lives and quickly forget that God was the provider of, them, of those miracles for us? We're just forgetful people. Before he talked about those terms of their decision, he reminded the people, again, not one single thing has ever failed. And did you know that through all those years in the wilderness, that, only, that not only did their shoes not wear out, but their feet didn't even get sore? That's the only occurrence in the Bible where God protected people's feet. But see, Jesus has made us a promise as well. Not only to his disciples, not only to those he taught, or to the crowds that gathered around to hear him. Out of all the promises, one of the most important ones for us is that the promise that he will return. That promise is vital because it actually hasn't happened yet. 
And so Jesus has left with a promise that's still going to be fulfilled for you and I today. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, Paul is going to show us a mystery here. It's come from the Greek word mysterion, which means has not yet been previously known to someone. There's something that God is going to reveal to us that with God revealing it to us, we wouldn't know it. If God doesn't tell us, we don't know. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Paul says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment and in the blink of an eye with the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Again, this should be no mystery. Jesus already told this is what will take place. In the book of Acts, in the, very first, in the first chapter, in verse 9, he said, And when he spoke in all these things, when they, when they beheld, he was taken up into a cloud and received other sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, an angel stood before them and said, You men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. God always does what he promises. He has revealed to us time and time again that you and I are going to be taken care of if we believe. And so Joshua continues on. In the 15th verse, Joshua says, I got to turn back there and then lost the page. So in the 15th verse, Joshua continues, But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. See, Joshua gives him two options. And they're pretty easy to understand here. There was no mystery about the two choices that were available to them. They could serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. It's entirely up to them. As God's people, we also have that same choice. We can serve or not serve. This is one of the reasons why me and the pastor are so, so adamant and so passionate about telling people about who Jesus is and how Jesus can change their lives. And that it's not from the elect. I do not believe in predestination and neither does a pastor. God did not look down and decide to save you and leave them. It is a choice that you have to make. You must make that choice. Just like they had a choice that Joshua laid out for them. They had two options. They could serve or not serve. Entirely up to them. However, they will be the recipient of those actions. Either in blessings or in curses. Only God gets to choose what happens to his people when we make the wrong choice. What happens next is God's prerogative and not our responsibility. And so, Joshua continues on in his message. Joshua's message includes a warning. In verse 16, he says, If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. In order to understand that, maybe you need to look back in verse 7. Make sure you do not associate 
with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. Look down at verse 12 when it says, But if you turn away from him and cling to the custom of the survivors of this nation remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs and thorny brambles in your eyes, and you will vanish from this good land the Lord God has given you. Now, when I was reading that, I, I was kind of wondering, was Joshua telling the people to reject those around him? It's not what he was doing, and that's not what we do. But he was giving a warning about following their ways. As I read this and discussed this with the pastor, something did occur as we were in our discussion that we realized. Maybe he realized it before me. He's a much smarter man. He's been around a lot longer. But the church has allowed the world to come into the church, and now the world dictates what the church does. And we can find ourselves in a serious situation of being thrown out of our own word and our own promises God has given. You see, I'm guilty of it myself. I love my youth. They're great kids sometimes. I love them. <laughs> if you had been with us yesterday, we had a graduation party. And I tell you, I wish... I think many of you who own these things would now realize you have lost yourself a lot of money. You could just dig a hole in the ground and just put water in it, and they're going to jump in it regardless. All right? It doesn't have to be a nice fancy pool with a liner putting all those chemicals in there. They will get right in the water. They do not care. That's how easy they are. But all that to be said, it was a great time doing that. But I love them. And they have surely taught me a lot of lessons. I don't know how many lessons I have taught them. Except for just live your life according to God's will. Read your Bibles. Don't deviate from it. Not one word has ever been wrong in that thing. That I can promise. But I do try to fall in with them with their worldly ways. And I'm guilty of it. I try to work within their Facebook, which they don't even use anymore. With their Instagram, which most of them don't use anymore. With their Snapchat, which I cannot figure out for the life of me. I've tried. I'm just plain old text. And they'll never answer the phone when I call them. But I have been guilty of falling into the world's ways to attract them. And then I try to entertain them with worldly ways. And I know it doesn't always work. And one of our youth got up there a couple of weeks ago. And actually said, you know what, this isn't right anymore. We need to bring our Bibles. We need to listen. We need to be accountable. Or we're going to find ourselves vanishing from God's ways. That's why I believe our churches are lacking power today. You know why our congregation is shrinking and why people are not being saved? I believe it's because just few are willing to fight for God's word anymore. Few are willing to acknowledge Jesus in the workplace, in the homes, especially at work. Few are willing to acknowledge that Jesus paid the price. And now Jesus is finding himself on the outside of our churches instead of in our midst. 
In Revelation 3.20, it already took place. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus didn't say, I stand among you. He was already being pushed out by the early church. And we are on the same path. If we don't use our Bibles to remember which way we're going to go next, we've already got the reminder, we've already got the option, and we've already got the warnings. We know that Satan is capable of destroying our congregation and destroying our lives with just a whim. One button. Your phones have one button, and it's capable of destroying you just like that. In this age of feel-good commentary, one can find an endless number of reasons why our world is slipping into spiritual darkness. Preachers, as good as they are, they do try to tackle the moral issues by telling people every description of sin in ways they cannot do sin. But to be quite honest with you, sin is sin. Anything in rejection of God's command is just sin. The lack of knowledge cannot be our main problem. We're very well educated. We know the problems of our generation, yet our world continues to grow darker and darker with each passing day. The reason sin abounds is simple. We're lazy. We're slothful. We're idols. We're immobile. We're inactive. Whatever terms you want to describe it, we're just plain lazy. That's the bottom line. And if we want to stay that way, we know the results. They'll continue to move. And one day, instead of a crowd of the people in here hearing God's word, there'll be one or two. And they might not even be using this building for worship. It's a sad thing to see churches close their doors. So many people out there need to hear God's word. They need to hear the reminder who God is. They need to know they have an option. They have to make a choice. And what comes behind if they choose not to make the choice? As we get ready to close and our, song, our music gets ready to start, you know, we believers, we're the ones who are required to carry the banner of the Great Commission. It's us. It's not your preachers. It's not your Sunday school teachers. It's everyone. We all have a piece of telling people about Jesus. And we need more fearless fighters. We need more heroes in our churches who are willing to sacrifice and give themselves. Those who understand what it's like. When things go wrong, we should not be quickly to blame anyone for these mistakes. Because they will become our daily habit. Ready to use our excuses and our problems. We can look at our Bible and we can examine others and their actions and decide where we should proceed with our own efforts. Someone that here this morning might be asking... You know, if I decide to get involved, if I decide to make a difference in my life and the lives of others, what do I do? What steps do I need to take? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm also a recruiter. I'm a recruiter for God. I just send you to the recruiter if you want to join the military. But here's what you do. First of all, it's not about you anymore. That one statement changed my life forever. I read it out of one book. I know it's not the greatest author, but I, I love the statement. In the purpose-driven life, very first sentence, very first words, it's not about you anymore. And it's not about us. It was always about him. So the first step, and you're asking yourself, what do I need to do? You need to empty yourself of yourself. Because it's not about you. Stop trying to run everything on your own. Quit being the boss and let God make decisions. 
Too many people of God's have become one-man shows. Which is one of the reasons why we're so passionate about building our small groups back up. It can't just be me and the pastor and, and Joe and a couple ushers and a couple Sunday school teachers. We're not one-man shows. We need you. We need an army of you. We need thousands of you who are willing to stand up and tell people, I love Jesus. He sacrificed everything for me so that I could have life. If it were not so, he wouldn't have said so. It's a promise. So you have to make a decision. Today's a great day to make that decision. Decide to be different. Decide to make a difference. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Friend, that decision will change your life. It changed my life. One day I volunteered in Children's Church, and the day I stand on this pulpit giving God's word. It happens like that if you're willing to let it happen. We can't all be preachers, but we sure can be a great workman for God. God's workmanship. You see, Satan has done his really, really good job of turning men away from the truth of God's word. But I'm going to tell you today, he's failed because we have it still today with us. Right here. He can't drive this out of my hands. He can't pull it out of my hands. I still got it. Even though it's kind of foreign to some of my youth. Still got it. This is God's word. This is the truth. It will not leave us. Even Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass. With every head bowed, every eye closed. And we have a lot to remember. We truly do. We have a nation who is at odds with itself. 